Welcome to another edition of the Hip Hop for Bernie Sanders podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sanzala, and I'm out here in Austin, Texas, and we've got on the line an incredible brother from Charleston, South Carolina, my man Ghetto D. What's going down, brother? Hey, what's up? Um, Ghetto D, a.k.a. Damon McElveen, a.k.a. Omar Fall. Man, well, we met a long time ago back when I was out in the streets of uh, South Carolina working with Murder Dog magazine. And I remember you showed a lot of love, took me around and showed me a lot of what was happening out there in South Carolina, along with my partner, 40 Ounce, who I know is in the studio with you as well. Right. And uh, so we've got a little bit of history here. And I know a lot about your city, and I wish more people did. I wish more people knew the deep, intense history of Charleston, South Carolina, man. Well, see, um, will you want me to break down a little something? Sure. Well, um, you do know this is where... Um, during the Civil War, this is where the first um, first cannon was shot. Um, when it comes to politics, jumping straight into it, we had the most representatives in the House, um, and it and it helped during Reconstruction before um, it helped dismantle the Ku Klux Klan at the beginning, and then you know they started back up with the red shirts and started intimidating people and forced us away from voting, and um, pretty much we got un- we got unincorporated and we learned how to survive without the vote, not knowing that politics controls everything. You have right. to get involved. Right. And coming up this Saturday is another primary debate happening in Charleston. And uh, Bernie Sanders will be there along, of course, with Hillary Clinton uh, going head-to-head in your state. One of the first primaries is actually happening this year in South Carolina, so it's a really important place for both candidates. Right, right. It sure is. And um. And I, I feel I'm feeling the burn because Bernie is the only one really talking about issues I can relate to. You got Hillary. That's um, you about to get Billary. You right. know what I mean? We don't we don't have time to put Hillary in there. And and 12 years later, she apologizing for something she did. You know, her her husband caused a major problem with this mass incarceration and a lot of things that he let go by. And um, we we cannot allow somebody. Pretty much to be a as an African American, I have to. I only way I feel I can back a candidate. They have to talk about African American views as long as everybody else views. And and the, quite frankly, Bernie Sanders is the only person that's willing to reach out and speak upon African American problems. Which you brought up Bill Clinton, which brings up a really important point here to discuss it. A lot of people really don't pay attention to politics and don't really pay attention to what really goes on because you've got people out there who would quote unquote say that he was our first black president. They would talk because he played a saxophone and he did certain things. Like there's people who almost make a mockery of of his whole candidacy with what he did. They don't understand what you just said, how he signed bills to, to increase mass incarceration in this country. He doesn't people don't understand how this is one of the main problems we face not only in our community but just countrywide this is a scourge you're right it's very much a scourge and it's off the back of um non-violent crimes because if you think about it they privatize the prisons like bernie always talk about and they rather if you know people always saying you leave the violent people on the streets you give them a second chance well it's because people that own these private prisons know that they can't uh, properly control that person to for the cheap labor so they rather right. the, the nonviolent criminals be in there that they can control and get that cheap labor out of them for as long as they can. Right, which is the new Jim Crow and the new slave state. And it's interesting to note that in Charleston, South Carolina, you're in one of the, one of the first stops 
for the slave yeah. ships when they were coming to America. You're right. We um one of the first stops. Um, they just used gentrification to wipe out um, the city of Charleston because they weren't getting involved in politics. The city of Charleston, originally after um, the Civil War, was given to African Americans. Hmm. Okay, from from within the last ten years, it went from being seventy eight percent black to twenty six percent black, and hmm. they used gentrification, higher taxes. Um, you know what I mean? They, they wipe them out from down there. Now they push everybody in North Charleston. So now we got people that still got one city mentality got forced upon us because of all the rental property we have up here. Like mm-hmm. in North Charleston right now, on the books, they try to say we like 48%. But when you look at the demographics, man, all you see is African-Americans. And we had the minority, which is a white male, governing us. But not until last year. When people like myself start going to um, the council meetings, start file, start really realizing how politics in the system works, we start mm-hmm. making changes because people, people. This is one thing that people got to stop saying. I'm not asking them people for nothing. You're not. You're asking them to recycle your tax dollars back in your neighborhood. And mm-hmm. if you don't go to these people and tell them your issues or your problems, they they're not they're not in your neighborhoods to properly see what what it needs. So then when you bring the address, the problem to them and they don't act on it, then guess what? You can vote them out and then you can expose them for who they really are. But a lot of the times I'm telling you, a lot of these people are not from these areas or are not talking to the right people to bring the issues in front of them. Exactly. And, you know, just for the record, I'm not just trying to interview any rapper in Charleston, to be honest. I know for a fact that you are out there in the streets and you touched upon some things just in your last statement that I never hear rappers talking about. I don't hear many of my peers and just friends talking about going to city council and going and being active and, and engaging with the local government. Right. And um, that's what a lot of them need to do because they, they're the ones that have the influence. You know, I, I, did, um, I did little cookouts to uh, register people to vote, but I didn't have funding like to bring a, um, a famous rapper. Because you figure if I threw a, a rap show and a voter registration drive and say, hey, you register to vote or show your voter registration card, you get $5 off or something. You know what I mean? That would help, you know what I mean, get people motivated. And, and even if they just come to see the artist, you putting something in front something in front of them that they wasn't thinking about before. You know what I mean? Then you can bring up you can bring up issues that they can relate to. Like when it, even when it comes to the school board, when it comes to the solicitors in your neighborhoods, these same people that sending you to jail get voted in. If they know that people in the streets that they're sending to jail are starting to register to vote, they'll be less likely to want to just send you to jail any kind of way. Right. And it's sad to note that uh, star power is so important and such a driving force for so many people in the world now. But what I think is really great, and one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is because of that, I want to engage the artists in the hip-hop community to start talking about these things, whether they endorse Bernie Sanders or not. The issues that he's talking about are issues that face our community every day in this country. You're and right. Honestly, I think it's just as important to talk to someone like you who has his local community on lock, who everyone respects and knows that you're out there really putting in the work for them as it is to get with a Jay-Z or someone bigger that's got that national uh, pool. Because when you think about it, we're not we're looking at the primaries right now. We're not talking about the entire United States in one fell swoop we've got to get through iowa we've got to get through new hampshire we've got to get through south carolina man and and it's people like you who can spread that word to the people who like if if bernie doesn't make iowa new hampshire and south carolina 
what's going to happen after that. You know what I'm saying? So you're going to really be helping to do your part to bring that word to the people of your community. And, and it's, it's really important. Do you feel like your peers know what you're talking about? Well, um, they had to come around, but they're realizing now because, um, luckily we had our own local election last year and I even being right in the, the thick of things, I learned a lot. I learned about, um, being incorporated in the city, not being incorporated, even though you're in the city, you're not eligible to vote in the, in the municipal elections. Um, we, um, we start bringing agendas to the table. We had a dream team. Our mayor didn't get in, but we got two people that win seats on county council. But one of the main things that I love that I got out of it, that the mayor that won wants to now sit down with me and, um, you know what I mean, address some of these issues because they were never brought to him before. He didn't, he never knew anybody that could relate mm-hmm. and, and come to, like you say, the city council and, and um, you know, translate what's going on and how it's affecting the community and what we can do to change. You know what I mean? I had to let them know, hey, your budget is $126 million a year and a third of it going to the police department. Are you telling me you need crime so you can keep all, all this money going to your police department? And once you start addressing issues like this, sometimes they don't even realize what they're doing. You know what I mean? Because if you don't say nothing, they don't know. And on the other side of that coin, like I just asked if your peers know what you're talking about. Like a lot of times those guys have no idea what you, what's going on in your neighborhoods, just like you said. I mean, it's such a such a separation. Is North Charleston, is that a suburb or is that is that is that just a section of the city or is that a whole nother city oh north charleston is a whole nother city yeah when um if you look at the history of north charleston and um after the civil rights act in 1965 some um some some um guys around here got together petitioned to separate um because this was once north charleston was just like in the county of charleston mm-hmm. and then now they got it incorporated and now we want um the last 21 years we've led the state in retail with six billion dollars Hmm. Yeah, we got um, we got the access to the naval base. We got the port. I mean, we got a, we got Boeing, but what it was, Boeing came here because if you think about it, they could take advantage of the right to work state. There's no unions here. Hmm. They got they took advantage of um, us being majority minority, and they get tax breaks because by being in this area, they assume that you're going to hire minority, so they got tax breaks. So we had to let them know, hey, we know what you're doing. We know you coming here. Um, getting incentives because of us now hire us, you mm-hmm. know, train us. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You knew before you came here, we were by water and we mostly was welders and marine workers and plumbers. Now teach us aerial. And then now we got them um, um, funding for that, you know, man, that's crazy. Cause when I came out there, you know, it's very obvious. Like it's one of those cities where you can see the division between rich and poor real distinctly. Yeah. Yeah. It's not too far. And in North Charleston, North Charleston makes so much money, but the majority of the people, like you say, are poor. North Charleston pretty much is one big old piece of rental property because it's more rental property than it is homeowners when you really look at it. And then the new areas that they're building, they're making it high-end areas that people that look like me can't get involved in. So what do I have to do? Like right now, they're they they about to build 5,400 brand new units, mm-hmm. uh, some multifamily units, some single-family units. And we about to uh, present the council, where's the 15% minority piece in this? Because you're using tax dollars, and the council got to vote on it. 
So you always got to make sure that they got something for mom, the minority piece, the low income piece, you know what I mean? Because you steady making all this major development and to get all these people in there, you say, well, we're not, they're not going to have to go to the same high schools. They're building a whole new school for the um, area. So, hey, we need some of our people to come take advantage of that, too. Man, no doubt, man. And it's such a beautiful and dynamic city. That community is incredible. And it's unique. It's very unique to our to anywhere else in the United States. Now, I want to ask you about your voice. I hear a very distinct accent, and I don't think people know too much about where you and your people come from. They don't know about the Gullah people. They don't know about the Geechee uh, language. Right. Well, you know, um, Gullah Geechee, it basically comes from a majority of us. You know, we, we're close by the water. We're by the islands. And um, there never was... Um, like even during slavery or after slavery, you know, we at the bottom of the map, the innocent, the interstate comes right here and there's, there's not too many other dialects. So we got like one of the closest dialects back to, you know what I mean? Being from, you know, Africa or the islands or something like that. We got our own right. dialect and it's Geechee. They call it Geechee. Is it pretty widespread? I mean, do you still hear it amongst the young people there? Is it something that that's passed down through the generations? It's passed down through the generations, and, and it's to the point to where I'm gonna tell you, it's so it, it, the rappers. You could tell the rappers, and even let me tell you how how we have to get people to understand us and, and get us a part of the world. When you bring call centers here, call centers weren't hiring local people because of the Geechee accent, and huh. we had to, we had to make them fall in line because I mean this is us. You can't not give us a job because we sound like we're from another country. Uh, I've had many experiences with call centers where I had no idea what the people were talking about, <laughs> to be honest, you know, and th and that's, they, they didn't bring them to your city because they had to actually pay you guys a, a $6 an hour or something as opposed to $6 a week. Right. Yeah. Right. More than likely, which is another scourge. And one of the things that, that brought me into the Sanders campaign is, is him talking so much about corporate America, him talking about these politicians with their hands in the pockets so deeply and them taking so many corporate donations. What's incredible to see is just a few weeks ago when Bernie Sanders' uh, campaign announced that they had reached over 2 million individual donations, which is more individual donations than any presidential candidate has ever received in history. He's mm. the one presidential candidate who is not taking corporate money and is coming straight from the support of the people. And see, that's exactly how it has to be for you to be genuine. Because um, let's use Bernie, Bernie from what you said, for instance. And then let's and, and between him and um, Hillary, and I'm gonna tell you what I went through with the um, with the Black Power movement or with the Civil Rights movement, whatever you want to call it. Last year, you got the NAACP and you got Al Sharpton's National Action Network. Mm -hmm. They're major people, but they got certain people that fund them that they can't step on their toes. Then you got the young brothers that form the RBGs and groups like Black Lives Matter. That's grassroots that don't have no tools they worrying about stepping on because they won't get this check next year. You see what I'm saying? And that's right. the deal. That's the problem with Hillary. How can, if right now, if Coca-Cola sponsors Hillary and they're, and they're not paying the employees the right way, how could she talk bad about Coca-Cola when she know they're one of her biggest, you know what I mean, endorsers? Well, they're you not, pay, might not be even paying their employees the right way, but they're also getting extreme tax breaks. And there's right. all kinds of corporate welfare that that's, that to me is, part of what's breaking this country exactly and just like with the lobbyists when i did my homework on um, private prisons they um they average 18 million dollars a year and the average person that can vote to, to um to change these laws don't even get 
30000 a year, but if you can go give them a $10,000 check, hey, sign this bill, and here's $10,000. They're going to sign it. Right. And the you average... Know, no, go ahead. No, I was just saying, it just, it's just crazy how um, money is what controlling everything. It's, it's not about punishment or profit. I mean, it's not about punishment or rehabilitation. It's about profit. Right. Pretty much. Now I understand that the uh, average individual donation to Bernie Sanders is twenty five dollars. I think most people could afford that if they wanted to, and it, to an extent, to me that means he doesn't really owe anybody anything. He owes the American if he gets in to be the president, he owes the American public to stand behind what he's been saying. But yeah. a lot of these guys come in, you know, with a with a big sheet, big list of things they owe. You're right. With a we, big list of things they owe, so they so they they. For the people that voted them in, they they don't even do nothing for them. They do they do things for people that, in in reality, the ideology is capitalist. Right. Now you've mentioned a lot about private prisons and mass incarceration. We've discussed that. One of the things that I know the hip hop generation or the hip hop community is excited about is Bernie Sanders came out straight up and said he thinks that marijuana should be legalized across the board. Are you seeing any movement towards legalization in? South Carolina, or is it what some would consider a typical Southern state in that sort of world? Um, we actually had a guy, last name, Shahid. He ran for governor a couple of years ago, and he was talking about legalizing marijuana. So we have had that on the plate, mm-hmm. and that's why he got the, the, a lot of turnout that he had was because he talked about, um, with the youth, talking about legalizing marijuana. He just sort of probably talked about it a little more. But um, yeah, we we've been talking about that because um, you know what I mean it helps me. You know what I mean with all I got going on this craziness in the world. When I self medicate, it solves a lot of my um stress. Right, and it's definitely something that we're seeing. You know, we're seeing lots of things happening in these states where, you know, the economy of the state in the state of Colorado and Washington and and Oregon. We're seeing all kinds of positive things happening with. The legalization, and I'm sure that the South Carolina economy could use a little boost. Of course, because of- because it's recreational, and because of what it is, and how I mean, you can majorly tax it. You can majorly tax it, and then you can decrease so many other taxes. You can eliminate a lot of other taxes. It can help so much. Marijuana cannot, you know, what I mean, it can help our pockets as well as um. It's more than just get marijuana to get high. Marijuana can actually help you from having to go. To the, um, you know, what I mean, get certain um, medications that that actually hurts you, like messes with your your pancreas, like a lot mm. of these coatings on these pills, and yeah. you got to take this pill to to stop the schizophrenia, and then you got to take this pill to stop the shakes. But then mm-hmm. if you fly up a joint of marijuana, you you don't hear this guy in your ears anymore. You see what I'm saying? Right. So, and well, and nobody, I watched the film. There's there's not anybody that invented anything. That um that wasn't impaired from Steve Jobs to the Bill Gates everybody was high when they thought to do what nobody <laughs> else thought of doing. Ah, man. Well, big pharma does have way too much of a grip on our country, and that's something that I don't see in other countries. I don't know if you know this, but the United States is one of two countries in the entire world that allows mass advertising of pharmaceutical drugs. Yeah. Right. Did you know that? Yeah. I didn't know the statistics, but then yeah, they do it. They're pushing. Know? They're pushing drugs that are way worse and way more intense during the Super Bowl than anything marijuana could ever do. Mm. So once again, um, when you got money, 
you can change what is right or wrong. Right. It's the truth. Now, tell me about the rest of the state, man. I mean, I know Charleston, and but I've been to Columbia. I've been to Greenwood. I've been to Greenville. I've been to Anderson. I mean, some of those cities, you know, Columbia is a big city, but going out to like Greenwood and Anderson and places like that, they're pretty backwoods, man. Do you think, you know, and I, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, they literally right. are out in the woods, man. Like, right. How informed do you think the people across your state really are in comparison? Like, I mean, Charleston is the big city, man. Right. Well, they they getting um they getting real informed because this is a, for example, there's this guy that went to Savannah State uh, HBCU, and when mm-hmm. he went back to his city after being educated, I think their populations was like eight to nine hundred people, but they had this old guy, um, old redneck guy that been mayor for like fifty, sixty years, and he and he went around um, fresh out of college and told everybody, said, hey, you know y'all can vote me in as mayor. And everybody read, got registered, voted him in, and this man not only became mayor, he found out a way to use the prison workers to beautify his town, and mm. all, and he was able to um, bring a factory in to provide jobs because everybody used to drive 40 minutes to an hour to Augusta. It was right, right on the border of South Carolina and the country. Right. And he was able, because he got into politics, he was able to bring a business, well, a, um, a factory in his area to provide jobs for people in the area, in the low rural area. You know, building up the building up the city. So with that being said, when a lot of people that go off to school from these little hick towns or these mm-hmm. backwoods, don't forget about where you where you're from. Come back and share some of that knowledge in your neighborhood, even if you don't do anything else but groom another candidate. Get your city together or town. Right. Do you do much traveling through the state? Um, I do, and then I have a lot of counterparts throughout the state that I uh, stay in touch with because I don't know if you're, you're um, familiar with the RBG. Of course. But, Dead yeah, Prez yeah. and all those guys. Mm-hmm. They, right. um, they stay connected and you know a lot of them are younger than me and I'm pretty much, they call me their elder because I'm like the oldest out here doing it this way that still can relate. I'm like Killer Mike's age. Mm-hmm. And we still can relate to the youth because the game hasn't changed and people need to realize how much the streets control the game. Right. When when crack came in, that was a whole new game. And crack still is the, the main game. And that's still how what the you know what I mean, what society and culture feeds off because you're no harder than your local drug dealer that shows you what's hard. Mm-hmm. If if you can kind of see what I'm saying. People go off of the slang and what's in the street to say what's cool. But it's just that the street people don't get paid off it. Right. Because if, if you notice jeans, they talk about pulling your pants up on your waist, but Levi's don't even go by your actual waist. They go by your hip now. Huh. Yeah. Even even jeans make it go by the hips now because they know the kids don't put it on their waist. Exactly. And how much influence that has, man. Exactly. I'd like to shift gears a little bit because I want to know, coming from a community like Charleston, I, I've got to ask you how the killing of Walter Scott affected you. Um. Well, you know, I've been, I've, I was being an activist. If you go back to our article that we did many years ago, I was always trying to kick in how um, corporate America was hurting local businesses. Yep. And so, so by me being deep in the streets, I had been involved in some other shootings. I've, I've had a nightclub to where the police used to come to me because this one, they were all out, didn't give a damn. They would come to me and say, in order to stay in business, I had to give them a drug bus just because they knew I came from the streets. And I used to, try to record them, and I tried to deal with the internal affairs, but mm. it was the police, police, and the police. 
had some young guys pull in front of my um, club, and because they wanted to make sure they were safe, got pat down. Something happened. The low man rang because he had a warrant. When they got down the streets, I heard some gunshots. Next thing you know, some more policemen went down there, heard some more gunshots. Three hours later, they throw a grenade, a flash grenade on low man, pull him out the bushes, and say he had a gun in his pocket. I don't know who shoots out with the policeman and gets shoot and put the gun back in his pocket. Mm. Just got pat down with the little, um, you know what I mean? He had on some um, gym pants. So to make a long story short, um, the Walter Scott situation opened up a lot of eyes. And mm -hmm. like I said, I don't know if I told you, but I heard the shots. And when I went really? on the scene, I went on the scene, they already had it cornered off because it was right by my on my house. Mm -hmm. And and they were like, um, why are y'all mad? I said, We're not mad. We're 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 just um we're just fed up that y'all always killing us. And they were like, Well, he fought over the tears of this and that. So when I got with the younger groups, they were out there making the makeshift um with Black Lives Matter guys and different people, they're making the low memorial. Then a little porter, the little um, Hispanic guy walked by and said, you know, I filmed it yesterday. Mm. Look at, we look at the film. Talk to the older guys from um, the Al Sharpton group and NAACP. They don't know what to do. So that's when I start kicking, because I wasn't never an activist. I call them on the scene because that's what they do. So got with the Walter Scott family and the rest was history. Gave them the film. And then um, I wanted to hold the film out a couple more days because the the city actually was trying so hard to discredit Walter Scott and make the officer look so good. But um, within two days, um, somebody already sold it to New York, New York Times, and then mm. the rest was history. And then yeah. from there, um, Walter Scott family got $6 million. I mean, that's fine. They all right. You was able to heal them up, but shit. Now what? This is what been happening. This is what right. needs to happen. Um, what about these quarter stops that Michael Slager start confessing about, you know what I mean, to try to get out of his trouble about? He wouldn't have stopped Walter Scott if he didn't have the quota to stop at least three minorities for a right. certain charge in certain areas because that's how they, they, they get their money. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, from there, we exposing them and, you know, we, we, we taking it to them because when it comes to politics, and I believe this was a Michael Moore film, something might know. This was um, Obama after he we did, because um, I did a, um, a live web screen when Eric Holder was still a... Um, the attorney general, I did a live webcam to see if the if it was systematic or um, an isolated incident with Walter Scott. And we was able to prove that it was systematic with all the people that came and testified about what they go through. And um, I noticed Obama did something on mass incarceration. He said something that is so true. You've never heard a politician that get penalizing for being tough on crime. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So with, with that being said, with the average American that votes, long as you you if they ask you to speak on crime and all you are is tough on it, who's going to argue with that? But then now that you got twelve to fifteen or twenty years later from after um, Bill Clinton, you see that locking up all our everybody for nothing, leaving people fatherless, um, you know, ruining people's lives for for marijuana charges and three strikes and all this stuff. All you did is mess the world up because you spit these people out, out that by 70% ain't gonna have no choice but to do something that's probably gonna have them right back where they started from. You see what I'm saying? Which was in jail because right. they say you um your your record is behind you, but like I, I did um I I did a little documentary the other day. If you if you know how to get your own business, 
you, your record really doesn't hinder you because it's on your know-how and getting your clientele up. But if you get, if you have a record and try to go get a nine to five, it's like you get punished because you can't get a job because you've got a criminal record that probably has nothing to do with the job that you're on. Right. You know, I feel the first thing you should want to do is hire somebody who used to sell drugs. I mean, they want to make money. Huh. You know, I don't know if people think about things like this, but I know Bernie Sanders does. I know yeah. Bernie Sanders know that people need money. Hillary Clinton said the other day, I listened to her, she said, if we do the things that Bernie Sanders said, we will have to raise taxes. But she ain't <laughs> saying who we would have to raise the taxes on. You right. see what I'm saying? Because you have a whole section of rich people of 1% that ain't really paying no taxes. Yep. You got these private prison owners. Last year, two of the major ones made over $5 billion. Um, 40% of their money came from the, um, the government. And they don't pay any federal taxes. Right. You see what I'm saying? So how about just tax them a little something? Or, or you know what I mean? I mean, it's just crazy how they just got it set up and then we fall victim, just like how they bail out the banks and all kinds of stuff. It's crazy. And then when they bail them out just to put the money back in their own pockets because to them, they're supposed to be rich and we're supposed to be poor. That's the American way. Exactly. Get up here with us. Find a way to get up here in the 1% and then we'll accept you. Until then... You're nothing. Exactly. Well, a good way to help, and I'm sure that you know, look at you know, working with the young people in your area is the the what one of my favorite things Bernie's talking about is making uh, public college free. And I feel like for a lot of folks, especially in the hood or in, in just in the backwoods, man, who just don't see college as an option, you know, if if we can make that more of an option for some of our our youths out there, I think that would make a huge difference in the mentality of the United States and just the productivity as well. Well, I hold the government accountable for all of these um, student loans not getting paid back because you know majority of these um, degrees ain't going to make you no money, but you still give them money to pursue these dreams yep. that you know ain't going to make no money. You see what I'm saying? So with that being said, um, I love the fact how, like, like here locally, our community call, like when you got um, vocational schools, trades, um, everybody be like, you need to be a lawyer or a doctor. Like that's the, that's what's supposed to be the best thing to be. But you're not telling them that you have electricians that make just as much money as doctors. Sometimes you have, if you learn a trade, you can make sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. You know what right. I mean? And you don't have to go to school maybe twenty four months. Right. You see what I'm saying? Until we start telling people other options, they're going to feel like they already failed off the top and they don't know these in-between things that they could have done. You see what I'm saying? Well, yeah, doctors and lawyers who are the ones who are supposedly making so much money, which many of them do, a lot of them are paying their student loans off into their 30s and 40s. Right. You're right about that. You know. And for us to make as much money as we do as a country, Mm. we need to start um, giving back more. It's true, and I, I hope that we do see this change happen uh, in 2016. It's going to take more than just a president. It's going to take more than just one or two people working on this. It's people like yourself in the real communities, the real people working in the streets, along with our leaders uh, listening to the people who are really working in the streets and really trying to make a difference. And, man, I definitely appreciate you being out there and doing all that you do. And even as an artist, 
having the the balls to step up and do these things and talk because what it drives me crazy that so many people who have this platform are just so afraid to use it. I don't know if they're afraid to alienate their like Republican right wing fan base or what this is. But so many people, man, they just, you know, they may have the same exact feelings you do, but they're not going to act on it. They're not going to say anything for fear of offending someone. And and that's, that's exactly right. Um, Hey, I I thought when I first stepped out, cause you know, my, um, my true, my true, um, where I, how I got to where I was, I'm at today is, you know, street cred. I used to be out there doing my thing. Then I started doing the music. And I was, you know, local in the streets. I was doing my thing. And then by crossing over, you know, you kind of be like, well, you're going to lose some of your steam. But I just kept it real. I just talk about real issues. I, I Like when I first started talking about drugs and people who sell drugs and, 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 turn it in, and, turn, and making people realize it's an economical piece. Uh-huh. It's to make money, and then because you're out there to put and it's illegal, you have to police yourselves, and then you have the few bad apples they may do crimes that and then you label everybody underneath the same umbrella, and it's not like that. I know people that have records, they now have kids, their girlfriends work at a at a um fast food restaurant, but they're able to survive because he's hustling in the streets and they got five kids. Now there's been plenty of times, and this and remember now, this this man has a woman that loves him dearly, but will refuse to marry him until he does something legit. Mm-hmm. Well, this man just went and got a job the other day. He had a driver license, went and got a job, and he came talking to me, feeling proud, just saying how he's gonna set up his life, he's gonna be able to marry his girlfriend. Then after working to the place about three or four weeks, they call him in the office and say. We can't keep you because our insurance won't carry you because you have a consoled substance on your driver's license. Well, on your record. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? And when he got the charge, he didn't even have a vehicle or a driver's license. But because he has that on his record, the insurance company that they deal with won't insure him. So now, guess where he's at? Back in the streets because he got to eat and he got these kids. Oof. You know? And that's an all too common reality. Here in the United States. Right. And not just in one community. It's all across the board. That's right. You know, this has been... I don't. I, we can't end this without talking about another inc- incredible incident that happened in, in Charleston. I mean, like, you guys have had a hell of a, a year with the the case of Dylan Roof and what happened right. at Mother Emanuel AME. Right, right. How did, was- how did that affect you and your community? Like, I mean, I know... I mean, obviously, I know how it affected people... And I know that uh, we know everybody knows what happened there, but like you were on the streets there. That had to have been a pretty intense moment in Charleston. Well, it was real major because at first when I got the phone call that night, because like I said, um, one of my best friends I grew up with is um, we call used to call him gangster. His little brother um, and his stepmother was in that church and she was, um, you know, she's one of the ones that that saw what happened and had to play dead. Her son Taiwanza was playing dead, and when he saw um, Dylan Roof shooting his aunt, he jumped up, and he got shot. He got at the worst. And then while he's laying back dead, his wife, his, his not his wife, his mother has to pat his niece that's like 9 or 10 years old and tell her, you got to keep playing dead after watching all this and watching Dylan Roof reload and talk to the people. And then from there, from days passing, what really made me get involved which watching the movie, how everybody's saying, oh, we get along, we forgive them, this and that, and watching them edit 
when they're talking on the news saying the family forgiving them now these people are church people they forgive them but they did give them a piece of their mind you don't put none of that in the paper you don't put none of that on the news and you make it look like black people just will take anything so what i did i did a big rally on uh, marion square right next to the park and i had like two thousand people and uh we were just talking about inequalities um certain situations and um we took to the streets and the policemen, without without us even supposedly having a march, they start blocking off the streets. And then we marched all the way to Miss um, Susie Jackson's house, uh, one of the oldest ladies that died, which is Taiwan's aunt that he tried to save. And um, we had Umar Johnson. We had a lot of people out here, man, major people in civil rights march with us, old and young, white and black. And you know what I mean? Yeah, we all together, but then, you know what I mean? That's one thing about Charleston, man. We, um, even though... You see a separation when you go in certain parts of the cities. There are an awful lot of multicultural or multi multi races that do business together. Even you know me and Forty since day one, me and Forty been the besties. You know what I mean? We always mm -hmm. been cool. We never had a problem. Some of my best business deals have been with um, people of other races. So it's not that. It's that few percent that's racist. Don't know how to adapt. And they want to keep that um that foolishness going, and then we got we got to show them, man. We ain't afraid of y'all, man. We we ain't like how y'all say. And then just like the Department of Justice since two thousand and six told, um, um, was it the Department of? I think it was the FBI told the Department of Justice that info um that the Ku Klux Klan and other white supremacy groups had already damagedly um, infiltrated police forces around the world. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So they are here. We were able to expose one of our um, sergeants that used to wear Dixie draw. He had his um, Confederate flag underwear, and his girlfriend texted me a picture of it. I showed it to the chief. He fired him. Damn. I, yeah. But I'm waiting on this um, to hear what the city of Charleston with Dylan Rue. Let me tell you what happened. Um, some little kids, the oldest one had to have been about 11. And a police officer, a white guy, was messing with them. I don't know what was going on, but they were filming him, and they were cursing the police out. And you can look this up on YouTube. He told our kids two days after Emmanuel 9 killing, y'all people ain't doing that but holding hands and praying. Don't go to church and get hurt. This is a police officer. You can see his car. Um, he's a Charleston City police. We Ooh. never heard anything happen to this officer who told our kids, don't go to church and get hurt. Mm. They sweep things. They sweep certain things that's too big underneath the rug, I guess. But media takeout, it was on media takeout. Man, well, I'd say the days of divide and conquer are over, man. And it's people like you and Forty and and good people in the streets who are working together and understanding that a lot of this stuff has been by design, and it's time to really make a change and take over. And that's right. I really appreciate your time, brother, and I appreciate not only the time you've given us here on this podcast, the Hip Hop for Bernie Sanders podcast. I appreciate all the work you've been doing in the streets for all these years and really for just being a positive force in your community and, and really trying to make a change. I think that you are definitely someone who can take this to the next level, and ideally we'll see you getting uh, in some of these seats, get you taking over some of these seats in your city, man. I think you've, you've got the voice of the people and – uh your city's got to take notice. Hey, hey, that's why a lot of people telling me one day we, we'll see. And Matt, I also appreciate you, man, because you always, um, whether it's music to now, man, I'm not surprised that you're getting involved and in helping getting 
the small people's word out, man. That's always what you've been about, man. I've always appreciate you, man. I appreciate this. Man, no, definitely, man. It's all of us together. We got to do this. We got to come together. And even since, you know, from back in those days, musically, I've always, you know, talk about small people. I really always have just liked the real music. <laughs> you know what I mean? The people right. making it unfiltered. And just like this chat here has been unfiltered. You know, we're right. talking real. There's no edits. It's just all about exactly how you feel and what's going on in your community and, and facts. And I appreciate you taking the time to do that. And I definitely appreciate 40 Ounce for facilitating this. And uh, if y'all don't know, uh, 40 Ounce Beats is the man out there in, uh, in right. South Fort Carolina. Man. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Man, appreciate you, brother. You took me all over South Carolina more than once, and uh, I'm yeah. glad we're still working together to this day. I'd love to see y'all out there on Saturday. The debate's happening in Charleston. We're gonna do some. We're gonna have a little action going down around around Sanders and, and the movement uh, throughout the city, and hopefully we can all link up out there, brothers. Definitely. True. True. Man, if anybody wants to know more about you, I mean, there's music and there's all kinds of stuff to to know. Why don't y'all give your websites and any contact information you'd like to give? Well, um, with me, um, I'm an activist. Um, I help you with anything you need to do. I'm always here for advice. You can look. I'm not one of the social media I got is Facebook, and my name is real easy to spell. Omar Fall. I don't have a lot of friends on Facebook, so I'm pretty sure I can add you. That's O M A R F A L L, and um, let's collab. Let's get it together. No doubt, forty. Yeah, uh, I'm just a local producer. I deal with pretty much any local artist in Charleston. Pretty much knows my name. And, uh, you know, if you're in Charleston and you need a studio to record or need some beats, just check out uh, 40OZ Productions on Facebook. Man, you've worked a lot more than just locally, brother. I've known you for... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've done tracks for a, for a lot of, you know, some other major artists. Done Just recently did some stuff with uh, Strange Music, you know, with Tech Nine's label and things like that. And... uh you know, just did some work with Tragedy Gaddafi. Mm. You know, you were just talking about G-Rap earlier. You know, he's got yeah. a real good connection with him. Tragedy, the intelligent hoodlum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Arrest the President, his first yep. single. Man, where's the, where are songs like that? 40 and uh, Omar, man, like, where are songs like that today? Where's the Arrest the President 2016? I mean, maybe we don't need Arrest Obama, okay, but where was it? <laughs> but, you know, maybe some would say we do, but where... During you know where in these last twenty years have those songs been, man? I think I think a lot of it's still still out there. You just gotta look for it more than mm. you know. It's not in the mainstream. It's not gonna be on the radio. Right. But think but about I think, think about how that affected you. I mean, I think we're all around the same age and coming home. I remember yeah. running home after school to see MTV raps, and like MTV yeah. was never the most revolutionary media outlet but i'd come home and i would see intelligent hoodlums arrest the president That's you know right. yeah. brand nubian poor ages teachers mc well, light it, queen it, latifah it, it, where I, are those well, the, the x clan like why do our why do our youth today not have an x clan on their television because it, to me it went from how you feel to what the cool. yeah what's cool you yeah. see what i'm saying and then um once again you know what i mean everybody make it a conspiracy but shit the same people that own the record labels they invested in prison, so why not make money off of sending them to jail? Right. You know, and I, and I think you know a lot of the 
a lot of the people getting incarcerated, they're getting locked up and, you know, they're letting rap raise their children. Mm. That that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. It's got too much influence on these kids nowadays. Right. With too many of parents locked up, it's terrible. Yeah. Well, man, I really appreciate y'all sitting down with me for the uh, latest edition of Hip Hop for Bernie Sanders podcast. Hopefully we're going to have a bunch more of these in the next few weeks. The primaries are coming up. Go online and check and see where your state falls in the mix. I know South Carolina is one of the first ones. So we definitely wanted to speak with you, Ghetto D, 40 Ounce. Appreciate y'all's time. And you guys have provided you know, immense insight here to what's going on in your state. And like I said, I do hope to see you out there this weekend. Definitely. Yes, sir. Already, you're tuned in to Pusher Mania's podcast network, the Hip Hop for Bernie Sanders podcast. You can get these all on iTunes. Be sure to hit the subscribe on your iTunes or follow on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Pusher Mania. We've also got PusherMania.com. I'm Pusher Mania on the Twitters, PusherMania.com on the Tumblr, and uh, Matt Sanzala on the Facebook. Definitely stay in touch. Leave a comment. Leave a like. Repost it. Spread the word and get out there and register to vote.